Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to episode 165. We're going to get right into the show. My guest is Devin Thorpe, who's been on the show before. Devin is a contributor on Forbes, also author of Your Mark on the World and Crowdfunding for Social Good. His website, yourmarkontheworld.com, is where he uh, writes, contributes, and puts out a lot of information when it comes to crowdfunding. He just is the founder and host of the social enterprise and crowdfunding conference that was just held in Snowbird, Utah. And so I wanted to welcome Devin back to the show. Devin, thanks for being here. Richard, it is absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. You're very generous. Oh, no. When I, when I find somebody who's as knowledgeable, smart, and uh, tapped into the crowdfunding world as you, I got to have you keep coming back to tell us everything we don't know because uh, you're, you got a lot of things going on. You had a great conference. I saw some photos out there of your conference. Tell us a little bit about the conference. Well, it was it was a lot of fun. We had such an interesting mix of people who came from the social enterprise, the social good community, and then the the crowdfunding community. And some of those people are are enmeshed in both, but a lot were or were sort of one or the other. And so it was really fun to put them all together and watch the energy and get people thinking about, wow, now I have a way to use now I have a way to finance what I want to do. Uh, and and you get the crowdfunders thinking about now I can do more good with my crowdfunding. So it was it was fun to put that put that group of people together, uh, really two groups of people together, and and watch the energy and the sparks. It was fun. Now you had excuse me, you had uh, it's, I think we were talking. Um, you had a really good turnout. Yeah, we, you know, for a first time conference, we were thrilled. We had over a hundred people there, and uh, really, you know, packed the room. These people, so. Obviously, you've been on the show before. Um, we talk about Kickstarter here. We talk about the rewards-based crowdfunding space, you know, Indiegogo occasionally. Um, but your conference was really – it wasn't – was it about that space or was it about much more? Well, we talk a little bit about uh, Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter and rewards-based uh, campaigns. The uh, We were fortunate to have uh, – David Boyce, who is the CEO for Fundly.com, which is probably the largest uh, platform for crowdfunding for social good. It's a rewards-based or donations-based platform, but uh, it's uh, it's the, far and away the largest in that social good space. Uh, we had uh, the founder from Red Capes uh, there as well. She's a uh, uh, that's kind of a small site, but also a rewards-based site that uh, is for social good. But she's also hoping to add uh, securities to her site. And then we had uh, Sang Lee, who's the CEO of a site called Return on Change that is exclusively an equity-based platform for uh, social good projects. So it's a way for impact investors to invest in social enterprises that have uh, you know, a clear social mission. So it was a lot of fun to bring all these people together and watch the dynamics and sort of compare and contrast among all those different ways to approach uh, crowdfunding. So this brings up an interesting question because uh, you and I have now known each other for a while and the Jobs Act, which was passed a year and a half ago, was supposed to open up crowdfunding from an equity standpoint. But that's still – so when you talk about these people who are doing kind of an equity-based crowdfunding, that's not that's still not possible, is it? That's right. It It, it isn't. The, the, the exception to that is if you are – 
uh, pitching only to accredited investors. And let me let me change that. It's not pitching; it's selling. If you ultimately sell only to accredited investors, you can pitch now like crazy. You can do what's called in in legal jargon a general solicitation, and you can announce to the world that you are raising money and that you are accepting uh, investment. And that is a huge change. That that changes law and precedent that has been completely the opposite for over 80 years since the uh, 1933 Act was passed. Uh, it has been illegal to publicly advertise uh, an offering. And so it really expands the opportunity for people to reach out to investors. The problem is and let's be realistic, but I'm, I'm beginning to appreciate this problem. I was, uh, as this goes live now, and we're actually starting to see it happening. The challenge is the investors aren't attuned to that; they're not accustomed to being pitched, pitched right? So that it will take a while for the for this to gel. It isn't going to happen as quickly as I had thought it would. It's going to take longer. Interesting, because. You and I have talked, and I'm not a big believer that these changes are going to generate significant differences in the crowdfunding on the equity side. I just don't – don't, I'm a person on the other side of the fence on this. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's interesting to hear your take that it's going a little slow, that the people who are all excited about it actually aren't the ones giving the money. That's right. The it's the ones, the right. ones who are either acting as intermediaries or those who are going to get or hope to get the money that are excited about it. The investors will have to be dragged, kicking and screaming, and and it will work. I think the community will come together almost exactly in the same way that the Kickstarter community did. Uh, I was not one of the very early Kickstarter participants, but I remember the first deal I got involved with probably three or four years ago. My first Kickstarter campaign, um, someone I got pitched a movie, and and I fell in love with the idea immediately. And so I, I backed the first campaign I was ever pitched. The campaign turned out to be successful. They raised their money, they made their movie, and um, you know. But it, it was just such a perfect example. He the the campaign actually failed the first time. So I got the email. We didn't raise the money, but we'd like you to come back, support us. We're going to we're going to take another run at this. We figured out all the things we did wrong. We're going to work harder. We'll get the money. So they did. I pledged again. They got the money. They said, "Well, okay, we'll finish our movie in in ninety days, and we'll and then we'll send you the DVD." Well, it took two years. What was, anyway, what was the name of the movie? Oh, I can't remember. It was uh, it was about a, a a crazy guy in Peru who was trying to build a helicopter. Oh my! And uh, it was a, just a documentary, kind of a touching documentary about this crazy guy in in Peru who was making a helicopter. And uh, you know, the the film ultimately suffered from the the fatal flaw that they they liked the guy too much to ever admit that he was crazy, but he was clearly crazy. Uh, and and was not ever going to build uh, a flying helicopter, though he believed he would. And so it was it was a fun project, but it was so classic of of Kickstarter. The first campaign failed, and then the second one worked. And he said he'd have the movie in ninety days, and it took two years. It was just classic, classic Kickstarter. Well, I think the equity crowdfunding world is going to go through the same process, right? And the the 
the Kickstarter audience wasn't built by Kickstarter. They, they may want you to believe otherwise, but the Kickstarter audience was built by thousands, now millions, I imagine, of campaigns that have attempted to or have raised money. That's where the investors or the donors have come from, right, is from the the people who've been raising the money, reaching out to their friends and followers until it's become a comfortable activity for people to to give money on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and to a lesser extent on other platforms. So, so I think we've got the same curve ahead of us on the investment side. That it will scale more quickly in terms of dollars, though, Richard, because the the dollars of each transaction will be about ten times as big as the donation based. Sure, so, but let me just ask you a question: Do you know what's an accredited investor? Because that's and the key. Yeah, that's what, right. What's the definition of an Am I a, an accredited investor? I, I am certain that you are. Congratulations. I, <laughs> that, that's one of the reasons I admire you so much. Yeah, I don't an, think so. An accredited investor is someone who has a net worth in excess of $1 million, excluding his uh, personal residence. The You can also qualify if your income is over $200,000 a year for the past – two years and you have good reason to believe that it will continue to be. And one of the things that's changed with this general solicitation rule is in the past, uh, an issuer, an entrepreneur who is raising money uh, would often face constraints around the number uh, uh, around having to use accredited investors. So this is not a new idea. But in the past, you could simply ask someone, are you an accredited investor? Check the box, and if you are, we'll, we'll take your word for it. Uh, some people went so far as to say, are you accredited by virtue of your income or your assets? Uh, and some would go a few questions past that, but not much. Well, now you are required to uh, sort of prove that your investors are accredited. So you either need to get a third-party indication from someone who would know, an attorney or an accountant, or you've got to have that, that person provide uh, financial statements, tax returns, or other indicia that would show, yeah, I'm, I'm accredited. So, so that's a big change. So, okay. So you and I are friends so that if I ask you some questions that kind of I'm having some doubts about, you know, that this isn't personal. Right. Right. So as you're talking to me about that, it sounds like, this is what it sounds like. It sounds like, look, in the past, if you had, to, you could get accredited, accredited investors to, you could sell them equity if it was one-on-one. -on -one. Right. And you didn't have to do any fact checking to determine really if they were an accredited investor. That's exactly right. You could just take their word for it. You typically, ha it was always written down, but right. you could. You'd but take you could pretty much it. take their word for it. Now, what you're telling me is that, oh, hey, look, this is great. We now get to blast out to all of these accredited investors, everyone can, in the world, everyone in really. the world. Oh, but they now have to prove to me that they have a million dollars in assets that they have some kind of liquidity of income that's coming in or vice versa. Yeah. And they have to prove that to me, somebody they don't know. Now, why is this yeah. better than the way it was before? Well, the, the, the way it's better is that you can now draw in so many more people. The, the people in the, the accredited number of accredited investors 
in the United States, it numbers in the millions. We, we think there are something on the order of six million people that meet these standards. Now, out of 300 million, it's still a small percentage. We're talking about 2% of the population or something. But we only have tens of thousands or maybe a few hundred thousand people that have been actively investing in private equities. And so the gap between those two numbers, the difference between those two numbers is the key to growing the pool of available capital for startups. Okay. Got a quick, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why have those – why haven't those other accredited investors been involved with investing? If they're sitting out there on a uh, million dollars worth of assets and um, all this income, why haven't they already be, be been investing in uh, equity investments? What's held them back? So why suddenly do we think that all of these people are suddenly going to wake up and realize that they were missing out on an opportunity? Clearly not all of them will, but some of them will, uh, you know, Reasonable people will differ as to how many of them will, but some of them have not participated because the process was too cumbersome because the traditional process has been you join an angel group, you go to monthly meetings, you do due diligence, usually as committees uh, in sort of an ad hoc way between monthly meetings where you meet with the uh, entrepreneur and and review financial documents. You review products, uh, strategy. Then you'll come back and report to your group and say, this is what we've learned. So it's a month-long process to evaluate a single investment. And then you're expected to pony up typically, you know, it varies by group, but you're typically expected to put up about $25,000 per deal. Now, $25,000 per deal isn't much if you have a net worth of $5 million. But if you have a net worth of $1 million, twenty-five grand is a lot to put into one deal. So there are a lot of barriers that have existed that prevented people who might be interested from actually participating because it was too much work and the investment size was too high uh, relative to the typical net worth of someone who meets the accreditation standard, right? It's going to be a skewed curve where most of the people that meet that standard are going to be close to the limits. And then as you get more richer and richer, it's fewer and fewer people. So now we're going to bring in people who have wanted to participate but couldn't for these other constraints. Got so it. Will, will it be universal? Will they all participate? No. Um, and will all the people be, that join in be as rich as the people who've been playing? No. But it will add to the, the available capital. Got it. Okay. All right. I'm not sure I'm convinced, but <laughs> it's – you know what? It doesn't matter because it's going to happen and we're going to see, aren't we? Yeah. We'll, well, yeah it, it will be interesting to see in, in places where they're doing it, uh, Europe, uh, especially the UK and also in Australia – what we're seeing is that uh, it's quite successful. Uh, it works well for issuers. It's working well for investors. But uh, the scale in those places is much lower than people are expecting in the U.S. So it will be interesting to see whether it develops in the U.S. the way I expect it will. Okay. So here's – and we only have a few minutes. This, I mean this is a topic obviously that, that we could keep talking about heavily um, – 
And it's yeah. fascinating, and it's great that you have this much knowledge because I'm sure my listeners are kind of wondering. They're hearing the Jobs Act. They're hearing that crowdfunding is going to become legal, and they're sitting – most of them are Kickstarter backers. Right, right. And they're like, well, wait a minute. You mean – what do you mean it's going to be legal? Hasn't it been legal? And we've explained <laughs> on the show that there's a difference between rewards-based crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, most of Indiegogo's projects, and yeah. equity-based crowdfunding, which is – Basically, the loosening of these laws that we've had since the 30s because of the stock market and, and that slowly we're going to start opening up so that instead of you have – so instead, like on Kickstarter right now, we know how it works. You get a project, an idea. You put it up there. People give you money and people see it as a pre-order system. Uh, give me money. I'll make this thing or I'll create this project and then you will receive the benefits of that project for giving me the money, whether it's – Tickets to the play because you're funding a play, right? right? We've got that down. And now what's being said is, oh, now we're going to be able to actually offer equity. Now, Kickstarter has come out quite adamantly and said they will not participate in this new concept of crowdfunding or equity funding, I guess we could call it, or whatever, crowd equity, right. equity crowdfunding, whatever. Yep. But I got a question, and we've only got like two more minutes. Um, why would I give up equity when – I could launch something on Kickstarter, raise the money to make the product. It helps me buy the molds or the, it helps me buy the clock or the fabric or the facilities or the infrastructure. And then I didn't give anything up. Why would I go this equity route instead of just continuing to do the Kickstarter, which seems to be becoming more and more viable? And we're estimating there's probably going to be about a billion dollars worth of funding over the next 18 months on Kickstarter. Now, I know the numbers are 300 billion is what they're anticipating. That's the numbers I've heard recently. Mm -hmm. But why would I, why wouldn't I just keep doing it the way I'm doing it on Kickstarter? Yeah. Well, there is an easy answer and a, a complicated answer. Let me start with the easy one. The well, we, easy... Got, we got two minutes, so you might only okay, have Okay, so I'll be quick. All easy right. answer is 10 times more money. Now, the, the what does more, that mean? Well, the average investment pledge on an investment site is about 10 times the amount of the average rewards-based pledge. Okay. Right? So typically the, cam the, the average campaign on an investment site in the UK or Australia is raising about 10 times as much money, 10 to 20. It's a big difference. And so that's that's the fundamental reason why someone would want to do it because they get more money. The second reason is that is somewhat more uh, uh, philosophical. But if it, the if you could generate revenue that would be enough to run your business without raising equity, no one would ever raise equity. But in fact, generating revenue isn't enough for most people in order to to capitalize the business and do all the things they need to do, especially in the launch period of a business. And crowdfunding is clearly helping that by accelerating revenue and deferring some of the expenses. But at the end of this day, the day, most people still need to raise equity. It, it certainly, you know, the best example, Kickstarter, I believe, was the home for the Pebble Watch, so the most famous crowdfunding campaign ever in history, $10 million. But the first thing they did after they raised the, the $10 million on Kickstarter was to go raise some venture capital, as I understand it. They did, but that's they didn't they didn't crowdfund the raising of venture no. capital. No, they didn't. They and, didn't. And and what's and, and, and that and that's a valid point. We're gonna have to have you come back and talk more about this. Yeah. 
It's um, a fun, fun discussion to have. And it'll be fun to put this on the record because we'll be able to come back and listen to this in five years and find out. <laughs> I don't even think it's, it's going to be five years. Our discussion to the the facts. That's right. Um, we're gonna we're going we're going to. And that's the thing. The show's been going for two years now, and so I look back at some of those early episodes, and it's like, wow. Back then, we were, you know, was Kickstarter having a bubble two years ago, and you know, was it going to get overblown? <laughs> There's so much more money now. Hey, Devin, thank you so much for being back on the show to kind of talk about some of these things. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to smart people, and you're you're certainly a smart person. Well, I appreciate that. We've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Devin Thorpe, author of Your Mark on the World and Crowdfunding for Social Good. You can find both books at yourmarkontheworld.com. Devin uh, writes extensively on Forbes as well, forbes.com, around all kinds of uh, issues, social issues, but mostly around uh, crowdfunding and cause-based crowdfunding for social good. I want to thank him for being on the show. Hopefully you've heard something inspiring, interesting, and certainly informative. And I appreciate Devin uh, being on the show to, to talk about those things. We look forward to seeing your project out on Kickstarter so we can help you fund your dream without giving up any equity. Thanks for listening. Take care. <laughs>